Attention all you sex fiends, sinners, degenerates, and deviants. If you're looking for a hot new sex toy, now is your chance. Sex toys don't care about what's in between your legs, and that's the sign of a true ally. Go to either B-Vibe or Lawand and use code SEXEDWITHTIM at checkout for 20% off your entire purchase. That's S-E-X-E-D-W-I-T-H-T-I-M for 20% off anything you buy from their websites. Check the show notes for more details. Once again, that's Sex Ed with Tim for 20% off both B-Vibe and Lawan products. Your next orgasm is on me. Mwah! The Sex Ed with Tim podcast is recorded on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people. We acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13, signed with the Mississaugas of the Credit, and the Williams Treaty, signed with multiple Mississaugas and Chippewa bands. You're listening to Sex Ed with Tim. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sex Ed with Tim podcast. I am your host, Tim. I am a certified sex educator. I identify as chaotically gay. And Megan, I have a quick little question for you. You betcha. What do you call an iguana with intimacy issues? Uh, I don't even know. A, a lizard with a... Oh, please tell me. A reptile dysfunction. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> A reptile dimension. Oh my god. Like me. (laughs) Please quote the internet and quote the trash that is inside of my head. Um, (laughs) Because it's so absolutely disgusting in here. Um, So uh, that's right. Listeners, we're going to be talking all about intimacy. Hopefully, my guest today can help me figure out what the hell is wrong with me and my intimacy issues and why I can never (laughs) trust a man. Mostly because they're men. Um, so. True, very true. <laughs> oh, yuck. I can't. <laughs> oh, Megan, like, you have no idea. Like, I am attracted to men, but I do not like men. The idea of letting a man inside of me physically and also, like, emotionally. Oh, oh, it's because there's so much to learn. And so many of them uh, are just not learning those things. I know, I can't. <laughs> But that's why you're here, right? So, um, listeners, I'll try my uh, best. <laughs> we have an uh, amazing uh, intimacy professional here with us, Megan Gilron from uh, The Descendant, from The Good Doctor, from, uh, oh my God, what else is there? The Wendy Williams movie? Like, holy <laughs> fucking hell. We did what? an episode on Snowpiercer. That was pretty cool. Yeah. What the hell? Okay. You know what? Like, what am I doing giving your bio? How about you introduce <laughs> us to, your, to our audience? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I am on the uh, unceded territories of the Coast Salish people, stewarded by the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and uh, Squamish nations, what is colonially Vancouver, BC, Canada. Um, my pronouns are she, her, they, them. I am genderqueer, gender fluid, polyamorous. Um, I am also a comprehensive sexual health educator. And for a long time, I worked in film doing wardrobe, which is one of the reasons why I saw so much of the 
missing pieces happening kind of in that in that area. And I had so many amazing colleagues that were supportive of me when I decided to do uh, more of this training um, and kind of get into this area some more. I'm also um, a facilitator of consent and boundaries and I've worked with youth for many years. And, you know, there's some people that as adults, we didn't really learn a lot of stuff when we were teens. And so some of that learning is very applicable as we go into spaces with a lot of adults who didn't learn some basic communication skills or some skills around consent and boundaries. So kind of there's some parallels there as well. You mean to tell me that as kids, we had poor sex education? No way. Absolutely terrible sex education. (laughs) You're kidding me. Many of us had terrible sex education. No, (laughs) I cannot even comprehend. (laughs) So, um, uh, your job title is intimacy coordinator, correct? Yeah. And yeah. I know that there's there's intimacy coordinator and there's also intimacy director. Yeah. So the yeah. difference is basically uh, theater and uh, like the film industry. So TV, film, motion capture. That's usually in those scenarios and with that, with that setting, um, we're intimacy coordinators, and it kind of. Um, uh, parallels off of what a stunt coordinator or a stunt or fight director would have been, uh, or is, sorry, that, that there's fight directors in theater and then there's stunt coordinators in film and TV. So in theater, we're intimacy director and it's kind of logistics around like the unions representing directors. And so if we say on a film set that we are an intimacy director, it gets conflated with the directing department and there's that kind of just politics involved in the naming. Ugh, labels <laughs> and politics. Fun. Seriously. Always so fun. And the hierarchy of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fun. So sexy. Uh, <laughs> um, so what exactly is it that... And So, okay. For consistency purposes, um, because mm-hmm. it sounds like you've done both. Um, both intimacy coordination and intimacy directing. I'll just mm-hmm. refer to you as an intimacy professional because yeah, that's kind works. of what you are. So what right. exactly does an intimacy professional do within like production? You bet. So our role is basically that we are an uh, actor's advocate. Um, we are a liaison between the performers themselves and elements of production, whether it be directors, producers, wardrobe department, all of that kind of stuff. We kind of have this go-between with the communication aspect. Um, we're also movement coaches. So we do help with the choreography of the actual sex scenes. We help support with implied nudity. If we have uh, scenes where our actors are when you see in the final cut, they're naked. They're not actually nude. Um, usually they wear modesty garments. And um, oftentimes, even if we're seeing genitalia, we are seeing a prosthetic, very, very good prosthetic. Um, and so we're helping to navigate all of those little elements. And when it comes to film, especially, we're looking at what are the what are the specific shots that we're trying to get? What particular angles are we doing? Um, that's within the boundaries of the performers themselves. So often we'll go to the product, uh, the performers, uh, ask them what their boundaries are and what they're consenting to being, uh, what is being shown on screen, what is also uh, the choreography that they're going to be doing that will help to make that depiction. And we're talking with the director about their vision for the scene, what in their, their best case scenario, what is their uh, wish list of things that they would love to have in the scene and tell us the most graphic stuff. Tell us everything that you would like to see in that scene. And we can reflect with you going, okay, well, with this person's, um, with these performers' boundaries, we know we can do these elements. Uh, we might want to change aspects depending on, again, what the needs are. Um, but we're trying to help make that vision possible with a lot of ways that I think in the past, 
um, directors may not have thought of simply because we now have a practice and a way of creating a storytelling that's that's elevated. Like we're 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 I research it right. Like my my research is ethical porn and art and apps like Dipsy where there's audio erotica and I'm thinking about what's happening uh, as the story is happening uh, orally. And then I'm kind of creating what the image is in my head and thinking, oh, that's a really cool shot. Oh, we can do this angle over here. And so like, I love talking about sex and I love teaching about sex and I love um, coming up with things that are lacking in our mainstream representation in our media um, about sex. And so if I get to like bring some of that you know, forward to our mainstream audience. It's so exciting to me because it's it's exciting and it's new to our to our mainstream audience. Oh my god, you said so <laughs> many things. No, no, no. I like you said so I many also things. I repeated and, myself a couple times. <laughs> no, no, no. Because it's like I'm in such awe, and like I have all these questions that are like bubbling up in my head right now, and I'm just like I want to ask all the questions, but let's see how much we can fit we within the me. tight little hour we have here. Um, tight little hour. Wow. The tight little hour, just like my whole... No, it's not tight anymore. Um, I'm, I'm truly aging and I'm rotting. I'm recording this while I'm recovering from anal fissures, Megan. So, oh um, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I hope you have one of those little pillows. Hurting <laughs> a pillow? <laughs> That's the most intimacy I'm going to get for the next little while. Just yeah. someone, just an inanimate object just uh, rubbing up on my butt. But um, yeah, I've been sitting in, a, in an Epsom salt bath just to help me out. But... Um, it's truly embarrassing. Good, I don't know why I'm saying this on the show. But, uh, <laughs> because it's all about being transparent and about normalizing all the weird things that happen to our bodies. <laughs> yep, exactly. Well, I don't know if it's weird when I like just push the douche just a little too far up my bum hole. Um, but that's a conversation for another time. But um, I, I, wow, like in your biography that you just spilled it right in front of me i'm like whoa so many questions um i'm trying to organize my thoughts here but i want to rewind back to bare bones basic what exactly does it mean to be intimate what is intimacy i know that's kind of like a Mm. either a really hard or really easy question but like what does that mean i think intimacy ranges from vulnerability whether that's uh, emotional vulnerability being open with someone about, you know, past experiences or trauma that you might have or desires that you might not have told anyone else. So that's very vulnerable and intimate. Um, And then there's intimate ways that we share our bodies with each other and with other people. Um, Some people think that, you know, being full nude is not as intimate an act as, um, I don't know, being, being close with someone and, and having them touch you in a way that you've, never experienced before or, um, you know, opening up an idea to uh, a new practice or yeah, desire that's, that's never been uh, explored before. Um, When it comes to the professional aspect of my job and intimacy that we describe, like, we'll say it's, you know, um, simulated intercourse, it could be um, also familial intimacy. So sometimes we come in to support where there's a child or youth, and they're, having a relationship with a parent who's not their actual parent or guardian, right? So having them have conversations about um, about safety, about, you know, what touching is okay. Like if it's a dynamic between a child and a parent, like it, what kind of hug is okay, that kind of stuff we can help with. Um, sometimes we also help with, um, you know, scenes of distress or like sometimes grief 
sometimes there's uh, elements, someone, someone passes away, or for example, um, my team is working right now where we're working on a, a show that includes suicide. So that's a very like vulnerable, intimate thing that happens. Uh, and depending on the context of the story as well, like how it impacts the other characters who are kind of left behind. There's other elements of intimacy that, um, folks might call us in for. It's not our like bread and butter as it was, but you know, it can be helpful in those cases. And we also have mental health first aid training. So we can help support cast or crew if there's any like triggered moments that's causing a real person distress when they're at work, right? Because being on set and doing that is your job if that is what you do. Right, right. Wow. Um, that sounds like a lot of emotional labor and whoa. Um, I don't know if I could ever like be that conduit, like mental health first aid. What do you mean by mental health first aid? Like, do you have, I don't know, some psychic syringe and bandages ready? <laughs> like, what do you mean by mental health first aid? Um, so if someone might be having, I think part of it is understanding body language, understanding um, what kinds of things can happen to a person's physical form or their physiology when they're under um, duress or they're under, they're experiencing a moment of trauma or having some kind of, um, you know, uh, PTSD kind of uh, reaction, right? So a lot of the time it's about grounding the person. So exercises might be something like, um, what are five things you can taste, five things you can smell, five things you can hear, five things you can see, that kind of exercise, some breathing exercises. I also carry uh, a bunch of different kinds of essential oils. So I check in with everyone uh, in, in terms of allergies or any kind of sense sensitivities first. Um, but a lot of times essential oils and different breathing exercises can help support someone uh, coming back into their bodies. So we're helping them to be more embodied if this is a kind of reaction that's um, generally focused in the brain. Um, so that's generally the, the first, uh, again, mental health first aid. We we're only the first kind of conduit for that. And then a lot of times we have resources, whether they're um, specific to film, film work as a resource or as some kind of hotline that people can call. Or we often have resources that are specific to, you know, counseling or therapy or um, any kind of other practice that someone might want to, to continue doing if they're feeling like this moment is more intense than just right now. Um, you know, we're big fans of counseling and therapy for people to be doing that actors, you know, a lot of actors maybe don't initially think of that. It's not maybe part of their training that it's like, Hey, if you want to be a good actor, do all these things. And also like have a therapist or a counselor that you're seeing regularly in order to mitigate, um, what we call emotional bleed off. So for example, if an actor is, uh, really well studied in their character. We hear it a lot. We've heard, um, you know, a lot of different performers over the years who have had mental health concerns because they've been method so acting. method acting. They get so deeply ingrained in that character and it's really hard to leave it behind. So we do some exercises that are around the premise of de-rolling. So taking yourself out of the role um, where we address the character's feelings and the character's things that are happening to them. And then say like, you as a character, what I, I as the character of Jody, um, and feeling the love that I'm having for my scene partner and da, 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 da. So we talk logistically through that and it helps the brain go, Oh, I'm not, I'm myself. I'm not in love with the, my co-star. It's the character who's in love with the other character. Oh my and God. We kind of have to pull that stuff apart <gasps> a little bit because it safeguards the person's own personal life and the relationships that they have in their own life 
Right. Oh my god. Yeah. That's so, the thought of that is so scary. Very it's meta. Like, it's oh, very meta. Yeah. Oh my god. Like I have to believe that the penis I saw in Sex Life is just a prosthetic and not the actual actor's penis. Um, <laughs> because I fell in that love is with. Correct. <laughs> damn it but it happens to us too it happens to us as audience members right when you watch a show and you get really really into it and at the end of that show you you finished binge watching at the end of it you're like depleted and like all your serotonin and all your uh you know all of your good happy drugs have just been sapped out of you because you had this experience along with these characters Right. Oh my God. So it's kind of like you need, you know, a break and then you need to like go for a walk outside and you need a glass of water and you need some things to like help you. It's aftercare. It's emotional the, aftercare. The aftercare that I had to go through after like watching, oh, what was the last thing I binge watched? Bojack Horseman on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> like the amount of um, like weed I had to, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> just engaging in all of my vices, just That's like the main a good character. closure practice. <laughs> Wait, closure practice? What is closure oh, yeah. practice? Well, we can go into that if you want to. Unless you have yes, to please. <laughs> like, honestly, so, this is just a conversation. I'm all over the place and you're dropping all these gems. So I'm just picking up what you're putting down, girl. So um, one of the things that a lot of um, practitioners for intimacy, the so there was a company that initially started out this work called Intimacy Directors International. And they were the first uh, group of people that coined... Um, the five C's as the pillars for intimacy coordination. So context, communication. Oh my God, am I going to remember them all right now? Context, communication, uh, consent. Oh my God, what's the other one? And then closure. There's there's five. There's something there. <laughs> Off the top of my head. Let's call it, I don't know, come. No, I'm kidding. Um. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you have to do that. You're performing <laughs> orgasm. <laughs> Uh, but, um, so closure coming back to closure, it's about, yeah, creating the container for the characters to experience whatever they can, whatever they're doing. Um, and then at the end of the day or at the end of the scene to actually create uh, a barrier or a boundary between, you know, the character that you're acting and the person that you are at the end of the day. Right. Um, so we do different things for that. One of the exercises we do is like tagging in or tagging out of a practice. Um, so just like how at the beginning of shooting, if they have um, the slate where they clap the clacker thing, uh, Mark, <laughs> tell you, Mark, yeah, okay. So that's like the beginning and then the end of the scene. They usually do it again at the end of the scene. Um, and so we do something similar where we have the performers face each other, they make eye contact. Um, they take a deep breath in and out together, and then they do like a high 10. And it creates an actual threshold for our brains. It's like if you are looking for a pair of scissors and you go through a doorway into another room and you're still, you know, and you're like, wait, what am I looking for again? And you kind of forget because your brain goes, the thing I was thinking about was in that other room. And then sometimes you have to go back into the other room and be like, oh, my God. oh now I know what it is. And then you yeah. go and get it again. The so amount of times that, I've had to look for my phone when it's in my hand. <laughs> yeah. So like that's it. And also every time you open and close your phone to do something, I'm like, oh, what time is it? And then you open your phone and you're lost on Instagram for 20 minutes. And then <laughs> you get out of it minutes? and you're like, oh, wait, I'm still looking for the time. Like that's something our brain is actively doing. It's kind of like an Etch-a-Sketch <laughs> kind oh, of thing where it just yeah. like resets. So right. we're helping our performers to do that with our the characters that they're playing and then 
them at the end of the day, right? So without all of that stuff, um, we often have what's very commonly known as showmances. You know, we have performers who are either getting into relationships with each other, which like, I have no qualms about people getting into relationships with people that they, they work connect with. well with. But I would say like, maybe wait until you guys wrap, like wait until the show is over and take like a couple weeks where you're not playing the characters anymore and see if that emotion is still there. Right. Because then because, you also see people yeah. who get into it. They're in love. They get married during the show. And then like two months after they are done the show, they're like, oh, wait, I didn't actually like this person. <laughs> I actually just, just like their character, which, you know yeah, what? I, I totally am here character. for the amount of fictional characters I've fallen in love with, <laughs> which is why it's my standard many. for me. <laughs> so shameful the amount of men i fantasize being like you know what i firmly believe that like chris evans is just as charming as he is playing captain america one day i hope to be an intimacy coordinator so i can work with him on set and just like oil up his naked body no um (laughs) that's that's another uh, thing we have to be very professional on set oh this is so difficult i know i I know but got all these beautiful hollywood bodies Mm. When you're expecting everyone else to be respectful to the performers and not making comments about their bodies, and you also have to stand by that model, and you have whatever's Damn going it. on in your head, you got to keep to yourself. Damn it. Fine, I'll hit on him after we wrap. Oh, yes, after you wrap. <laughs> okay, this sounds you know, really ethics. right. This sounds really. Um, uh, it, it's clicking with something uh, in me right now because mm. when I was in high school, I saw a university production of Romeo and Juliet. And mm-hmm. it, what they did during this uh, production was uh, they had the actors on the stage literally draw a chalk outline on the stage. So we're like, what the heck is that? And after the the play, like, curtain called, um, we asked them what was the point of that chalk outline and then they said that the director wanted to give the actors a space on the stage to act out their character specifically so that outside of the chalk outline where the audience can still see them, they become like, you know, part of the viewing experience. So mm, we see the actors go in and out of their characters as we watch them and I was like, right, that's a right. really interesting thing. So what you're yeah. saying kind of like resonates with me in that way. It's like uh, you're successfully compartmentalizing specific parts yeah. of yourself. Is yeah. that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. And like the way we talk about it, if we go in depth. So when we have more time in theater, we do like a longer rehearsal process where we set up, you know, discussions around consent, around how we do our boundary practice. We do check in every day because whatever happens in your personal life also is something that can affect you when you're acting. So it's like a space to come in and go, you know, I'm feeling a little emotionally unstable today. Um, physically, I feel fine. These are the same areas that I that I don't consent to being touched on. Um, I'm, I'm fine with all these other areas being touched, but I want you to be gentle with like my left shoulder because yada, yada. So there's like a check-in that we do. Um, and if we have a longer amount of time with a company to really talk about these things, that is what we talk about where we're, where we're addressing, you know, where you come in and you're the you're the actor, you're the performer, and your body is an instrument to be utilized to tell a story. And you as a person still have the right to say, like, actually, I don't want this kind of touch happening to me. And that's really uncommon for a lot of actors because they've been gone, they've gone through all this training 
which specifically speaks to like, yes, and yes, and to everything, right? They're being expected to like, tell that story and not always check in with themselves and go, actually, is this something that I'm okay with? You know, just because you're an actor. And that's something that, you know, a lot of production people will often say like, well, you signed up to be an actor. So then you, therefore you right. signed up to be yeah. fully naked and fully, you know, we forget that sex. they're people too. Oh my God. Actors are people and, too. What? And uh, making assumptions about what they have or have not done in their personal lives, because that's where directors in the past, I know personally, I had, you know, my high school experience, I was in Romeo and Juliet and had the director be like, you know, when you kiss and blah, blah, blah. And I couldn't be like, I've never kissed anyone yet. What are you talking about? Like, are you making me tell everyone that I haven't kissed anyone and I have to do this now? Like, that's the kind of stuff that then poor performers are having in the back of their heads, this like anxiety that's going on because, oh, I haven't done that thing yet. So how am I going to portray that on screen or on stage? And as an intimacy professional or as a choreographer too, it's like, I don't rely on your personal life at all. I have tools and I have um, resources that I can pull from and say like, hey, we're going to, oh, okay, we're talking about, you know, the power dynamic between these two characters. So um, in this moment, who is leading the kiss? Who is leading this moment of intimacy? Um, how, how are we telling the story that they're leading? Well, there's a moment of eye contact. Then that eye contact goes from the eyes and drifts down to the mouth. And they kind of hold that eye contact with the mouth of, the, of, their, of their partner for a few minutes. And then the other person kind of just teeters forward a little on the on their tippy toes. And then that's the consent for the other person to move forward and make, like, make the lip contact. So we actually tell a story inside all of these little intimate moments. And when we expect actors to figure that out on, themse- on their own, it gets, it gets very blurred line between, again, what am I as a performer and what is my personal life? And am I perceiving that my scene partner is trying to take a little more because they like me or they're doing something because they don't like me. And now I don't know what I'm doing and it's all very confusing. It's Whereas really if just they your have, breath. <laughs> if they breath. have an actor, yeah. And like if you have someone outside of that who is aware of both people's boundaries and how everyone wants to say stay safe and you have that person saying, okay, so person A is going to lean in for one breath the eye contact is going to change from the eyes to the lip and person two is going to move forward. And then there's going to be lip contact. It's much easier as a performer to go, ah, someone is telling me what this, what the story is, what the framework is. And yes, I'm going to use my instrument, my body to do the thing, but within my consent, right. We're working Mm. with all these different components all at once. Um, And again, like the, the IC or the ID or the director can only ever give permission. It's like, oh, hey, I think this would look really well in this moment. Could you guys try that? Or could you folks try that, um, that action? Only the two performers can consent to doing that thing. So then they have to check in with each other and consent. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a good story point. Let's definitely add that in there. Oh, yeah. Do you mind if we do that? But I'd like to hold the kiss for an extra beat because I think it would tell a bit more about my character here. You know, so they, they also, we want them to engage with each other and have this vocabulary so that, you know, it's ongoing, it's an ongoing practice. Right. And that's where you step in where it's like, okay, um, Jennifer Lawrence over here is not really feeling that. And excuse me, Steven Spielberg, um, she does not want to do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just name dropping. Usually um, we don't. Yeah, we don't we don't usually say who is actually the person who's not consenting to something because that like can throw people under the bus. Right. We definitely want to say just like, oh, because of boundaries here or like, um, you know, we find also we're very sneaky. We find other ways 
to tell some, like, for example, if we do have a moment, like, for example, vascular reactions happen. Penises get hard, vaginas get wet, nipples get hard. This should happen to say, our bodies yeah. because, because our body, our brain is going, oh, body, you're in kind of a sexy position right now. Should we do the thing? And your body and your brain's like, no, 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 no. It's not the time. This is like a public thing we're doing. Like, just, just cool it down. And so anyway, we basically have a, a, a little protocol where we give a thumbs up to our performers. If they don't give us a thumbs up back. Then we go in and we check in with them and we pretend like, oh, here's some water or like here's a breath mint. And when we're doing all of that, they can be like, hey, I just need like five minutes to cool off and be like, yeah, no worries. Like you go and I'll just uh, stall. Go to your trailer, jack off and real quick. (laughs) Cold shower more like, but yes. Cold shower. (laughs) Take care. Take care of whatever you take care of. Cool yourself down. Actually, you can hop on, hop on the, um, the balls of your feet or on the heels of your feet. If you just like jump on your heels, it actually makes an erection go down. Ooh, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, because my erection is always up as uh, <laughs> evidenced by my co-host, Richard, the giant penis right behind Richard, me. Right, Richard, jump on your heels. Jump on your heels. <laughs> <laughs> I actually called him Richard because uh, that name contains two of my favorite states of being, being rich and Dick. being hard. <laughs> I was going to say, and his name is and Dick. And the nickname sure. is Dick, right? Exactly. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Yes. I want to let you in on a little bit of a secret. So, did you know I have a Patreon? For as little as $1.50 a month, you can access all of these episodes early and without these pesky fucking ads. I know they're so annoying, trust me, but girls gotta pay the bills, right? (laughs) And then if you want to pay a little bit more, you get access to some bonus episodes. Plus, you can also access the exclusive Sex Ed with Tim Discord, where you get one-on-one time with me every month. We can talk about anything that you want. It can be like a sex ed kind of thing or just a little kiki 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 if you want some advice on sex, dating, love, whatever. I highly suggest you don't because I don't even know if I'm taking the advice that I give out. But hey, it's all fun and I hope you subscribe. I will see you on the other side of this ad. Do you like feeling sexy and looking sexy? Of course you do. Only my listeners are sexy as fuck. I have partnered with fetishwear designer Dale Kuda to bring you the hottest deals on custom jock straps, harnesses, hats, and more. Head over to dalekuda.com, that's D-A-L-E-K-U-D-A.com, and use code SEXEDWITHTIM at checkout for 25% off the entire store. Yeah, you heard me. 25% off. And cherry on top. Free shipping, oh my god. (laughs) I have a few of the stuff that he has made for me, and girl, I'm wearing it right now. I'm wearing like a little jock strap so that I could easily just like slip a little butt plug or dildo every now and then here and there, and I'm on the train. I'm just like, uh, 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 thank you, Dale. That's dalecuda.com with the code SEXEDWITHTIM for 25% off your entire purchase with free shipping. With a deal like that, I swear I could come buckets, honey. The show is about to begin. Yes. So, um, like, just hearing about all this, it is so mm. wild and so cool that, uh, it, like, your whole job is just so fucking cool. Um, 
can you like take us back to how exactly you got into it and why you wanted to become an intimacy professional? For sure. Um, well, so because I went to university and was studying uh, costume design at, at the time, um, and I was taking other classes, directing, acting. I was getting getting a little bit of everything while I was at school. Um, I also was a resource coordinator for the, um, <laughs> not great named, but like the Women's Center at school. It was with a Y too, which again, I, I anyway, there's like a lot of layers in there about like right, the words yeah, yeah. and everything that we're using because um, I didn't think that was actually very trans-friendly. So anyway, <laughs> um, um, and at the time, like again, being at school and kind of um, getting really involved in um, sex and gender studies and um, really getting interested in, yeah, I mean, part of the storytelling in certain scenes and I would, and I ended up directing a play that was a short, like 15 minute long um, play and the playwright had written it where the three men in my play at the very end of the show all end up getting naked. And the scene is the, or the play itself was about, Ooh. Three um, naked men? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was about these guys all talking about, you know, kind of this competitive nature of like penis size and things like that was part of the discussion <laughs> happening. Because the one guy is talking about how he was trying to have sex with his girlfriend. Mine's bigger. She, she laughed or she giggled or something and it was misconstrued as her laughing at his penis size. Oh. And all of this kind of stuff. <laughs> so I'm trying, I'm figuring out like as a director you know, I don't want, I want people to focus on the directing. I didn't want my show to be like the penis show or the show where everyone got naked. So I tried to figure out like what was a modest, but, but still not hiding from it. So I actually got these like nude, like booty shorts and I had my costume designer paint the penis on the front and like a butt crack on the back Mm -hmm. so that it was kind of stylized and they all had to wear like jock straps so that they all were like a uniform size. So there was no okay. actual, you couldn't really uh-huh. see the size of anybody. Um, my mind is just, racing. <laughs> as, as, a, as a like femme presenting person in a space with another female performer who we were both like clothed and we're going to be doing our jobs clothed and throughout the process of rehearsal deciding, okay, so at some point you all need to start undressing because that needs to be in the choreography of like when we when we take off a piece of clothing you know throughout the play and at some point you're going to be wearing these underwear but we have had we don't have them made yet um so like even the actors found it really fun every day they would wear a different kind of underwear that they brought out their like superman underwear or their like you know (laughs) whatever whatever cute underwear they had at home and they found a way to like make it really fun and you know again we kept it within the container of rehearsal and different things like that, that just got me really interested in this whole premise. And then when I was working as a costumer um, on uh, in TV and film, I was like seeing everywhere that they were specifically on a project where they were hiring a lot of um, folks from like the, the UK who they were used to working a particular way. And then in Canada, it felt like they just weren't advocating very well for these performers. And it was um, a TV show that had like mermaids in it and the mermaids would be coming out of the water and then would be naked for different times. And they didn't have someone who was there, again, like supporting the performers and making sure that there was consistent communication between the wardrobe department and the director department. The director saying, oh, actually, I wanted to have full back nude, but the costumer had prepared modesty for them to be wearing something on their from their waist down. Um, and then on the day, it felt like there was a, a component where the director was trying to push for them to do what the director wanted, um, but it hadn't been pre-negotiated and the performers didn't have like 
proper nudity riders and everything that's normally a, a legal thing that has has to happen for those kinds of scenes. So when I was seeing all this kind of stuff happening, I was just like, there's got to be something else like that, that people can, you know, and at the time, I also a friend reached out to me and said, like, because he knew that I was doing lots of sex ed stuff. And I was just really into all of this kind of uh, kind of content. And uh, he was like, I just worked on a show where they, were, they had an intimacy director. And I thought of you and I like heard the name of that job. And it just like a shiver went down my spine. I was like, what's that? I have to do it. <laughs> and then I found out Mine. that there was like a, a course happening in Banff uh, with who is now my colleague, um, Siobhan Richardson. So I did a course with her and I've done trainings with a lot of different um, organizations that are predominantly in the States. Um, one is called Intimacy Directors and Coordinators. The other one is called Theatrical Intimacy Educators. And now I work with an organization in Canada and we're building up our training program as well as like a resource hub and a community for people. And we are called the National Society of Intimacy Professionals. Um, and that's like more of a community-based thing. And then um, the company that I work with for my for-profit stuff is um, Principal Intimacy Educate. It's a whole, we have lots of, <laughs> right. there's a lot no, of no. links. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to sure. add them at the end. I'm going but, to um, get you to plug it all at the end and I'm going to add in the show bet, notes for sure. Bet. Yeah, because but, um, I want to yeah, be an so intimacy it's... professional now too. Yeah. Like, this and so like, fun. and you're about, you're in Toronto, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's some folks working out there. Definitely Perfect. get connected. Yeah. No, because like I already have my my certification as a sex educator. I want to like do stuff, Ooh. not just because I want to touch Tom Hiddleston in Where the Sun Don't <laughs> Shine, but um, you know, you know, like this sounds like a, a gap in the industry, especially with like the arts and media industry. It, there's like a gap mm. that needs to be filled. Um, no pun intended with my sexual <laughs> innuendos, but um, has this always been around? Like, is this intimacy professional job like a new thing that's just coming out of the woodwork or like, I would has say it always been there? um yeah I would say that it's uh more recently official in that we are now dealing with unions and um there's there's like the efforts to put our job properly in the film and tv industry however I think that people have been doing this some form of this job um, for many, many years and different directors, including aspects of this practice into what they're doing. A lot of people who practice right now have their own protocols and pra best practices that they've been developing over many, many years. There's a lot of different people that have added a lot to this movement. Um, and also like not ever to ignore or um, erase the fact, because it has happened, um, that Black and Indigenous and people of color and people who are sex workers and people who are working in the porn industry, um, people who are in the kink and BDSM communities, they've been doing these practices for many, many years. And we we, we lend and borrow um, aspects of that. I myself am in the King community. I practice Shibari. And there's a lot of amazing skills that you learn when you're um, negotiating boundaries and consent within some kind of scene that you can bring into this practice. So there's a lot of those communication skills and a lot of that like awareness of body language and things that you can learn. Um, consent or that and boundaries. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or folks who are in, you know, dom sub type relationships, like there's a lot of nuance and a lot of really in rich, um, yeah, just like relationships and communication that lends itself to this kind of work. And then mm. on top of that, there's like, actually being a theater practitioner, actually being a film practitioner, knowing just the politics, because there's so much more of that. Um, and that's the part that really sucks about this job. So I hate to like, burst that bubble, but it's like 85% 
emails and phone calls and navigating conversations <laughs> with producers and getting nudity writers written up. Like that part is, uh, it's a doozy. And there's the a administrative work. And then you get to set and it's like, okay, this is like the 15% that's fun where I get to like choreograph right. a sex scene or something. Yeah. yeah. yeah oh my exactly. God. Now exactly. you got me thinking like how many people on a typical production set are like freaky because you said like, you know, <laughs> porn actors and kink and um whatever else like because my i have a friend who is an assistant director for netflix and i want to like hop on set and be like which one is your intimacy professional and i want to speak to them and see how freaky (laughs) they are (laughs) because yeah um, but i think it's really important to add that that component like if you are or even if you're not if you're an intimacy professional who's not in the kink community because like that's totally fine um that you are hiring a consultant that you're paying for someone whose expertise comes from an area that you're trying to represent on screen so that you're doing diligence to that demographic you know we had so many folks who were upset about 50 shades of gray and all this stuff because <laughs> really ain't nobody even doing their many. research <laughs> No one doing their research and, you know, like certain things being represent misrepresented and really does damage to a, a, a demographic or a community. That's that's amazing. My knowledge of, you know, the, the kink or the, the queer polyamorous polysexual communities are that it's that it's ongoing practice and there's a lot of um you know, there's courses, there's tons of workshops people take when they're getting, I mean, I'm an A-type, so I'm like, I take all the courses. I like get, you know, I do it by, love, by the book. Me too. Even my Give me like, all the, the knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, for example, like I pay for my like Shibari study subscription so that I can learn things and do it safely. Like that is my jam. And so if someone's, you know, for whatever reason, that's totally fine. Like if you're not part of that community, there's some folks who are intimacy professionals who come from the stunt coordination community. So again, I don't, I can't speak to their personal lives, but if you don't have some of that knowledge, please hire someone and bring in a consultant so that your the story that you're telling is accurate. And we can see the difference. Like you were talking about sex education earlier, um, early in the in the first couple seasons there was different things in there that i was like i really love this show and there's little bits where i'm like you could have educated there like you could a have little had a moment better, yeah when um when jean uh, has that little like women's circle and she's like p- pulls off the little button on that vulva and she's like this is the clitoris and i'm like but that's not what the clitoris looks <laughs> like and looks what like... a cool what a cool moment it could have been if you'd have, like actually pulled out like the full like wishbone shape the full thing wishbone and been, like shape. this yeah, is yeah, the yeah. clitoris and they kind of just like that that teaching moment fell flat. Very, Whereas this yeah. season, this season, oh Wait, my. I'm not on, I'm not on like, it yet. I'm not on it yet. I'm not on it yet. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I'm yeah. Tell no you, spoilers, I'm tell no you. Season three, though, is like actually sex education. Like there's some really good stuff in yeah. there. Okay. That really like, yeah, it was dope. There was some awesome I sex bet. educators that got plugs too. I don't know. Emily Nagoski, um, yeah, come as you are. Yeah. There was a drop in there for her book. And I was like, oh, yeah. I love finally. it. I love it. <laughs> In terms of, like, accurate depiction of sex and intimacy, I feel like that show is, like, the closest. I mean, it's not going to be perfect. I don't think ever. I don't think any show is going to get it perfect. And, like, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. It's fine. We're human. But, like, in terms of representation of, like, uh, accurate sex education information and intimacy stuff, I feel like sex education does, like, the best (laughs) in terms of how they do it. Yeah. And, um... That's kind of the reason why I started digging into like this intimacy professional um, occupation because uh, it started with sex education and then I like really got interested in it when I saw 
what's that show? Um, I May Destroy You, which oh, is yeah. one of the best shows I've ever seen. It is so heavy. And like the way they deal with um, like sexual abuse and like mm-hmm. it, it, it mm-hmm. like it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. So mm-hmm. um, Michaela I, I, Cole is incredible. And the fact oh. that she did yeah. like to- told that story did not you know her and her, all of the speeches that she's given i just can't i can't enough with michaela cole she's amazing yeah, I can't. she's and, so good yeah and just that she w- did not let the the you know the um integrity of what she was trying to say be lost anywhere um right? that was just so yeah i have yeah. so much it's i have so many her. thoughts and so much respect and like it's just so fucking amazing and um, mm-hmm. because that show employed an intimacy professional that's where I started mm-hmm. to like really like go into it I was like oh yeah I never it never really occurred to me that like this specific scene where she was getting assaulted or like uh, the other two her two other friends in that show were also like facing their own type of uh, mm-hmm. assault like I, I forget that you know these are actors that are playing a character but also it can actually affect them in a very like deep and profound way and yeah. that's so insensitive yeah. of me. It's like, you're just an actor. Like, just get over it, which is so, like, Hollywood of me. Um, <laughs> but I-, I wanted to ask you about, like, how do you, um, not deal, but, like, how do you go about um, managing or producing or coordinating, I guess, scenes that are very, like, heavy on mm. these actors? Like, um, can you walk us through, like, a day in the life of an intimacy professional such as yourself, like when you're choreographing, um, uh, whether it be a nice passionate scene or a very like heavy and dark kind of scene. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. So in a general sense, when we get to set, when we check in with our performers, one, it's just to check in about their mental and physical health on the day, um, checking in if they have anything that they that we need to be aware of. We'll also check in, you know, depending on if someone has a uterus, like when when is your cycle, knowing when their cycle is and if they need extra time um, or if, hey, like, you know that that's the day where you're going to be like you're on your heaviest moment of your bleed or, or even if it's the other times in your cycle where, you know, it's like, actually I'm quite energized. Like I know that my body is feeling this particular way. It just helps us give extra time and extra, um, you know, I always have extra menstrual products in my kit. I always have extra, we use foam barriers. Actually have some here. I can show you. I wish you had some stuff for for uh, actors who get an erection, like <laughs> just jump well, on the balls of your and the heels of your feet. So that, but then also sometimes if if that's a if that's something where someone is sensitive, like it, like their body tends to react very easily to things like that. We might also recommend something that's similar to like a tuck, right? So actually, taking get a drag down, queen if that's, <laughs> if that's what's necessary. We've we've had that happen in the past. Hire um, a professional honestly, drag queen. Basically just like these are bra inserts, but like it's a triangular piece of foam that's curved on the inside. And we can cut that to the shape of either the person's like um, pu- pubic mound or over like oh, as cool. a as a as a fit. It's kind of like a, a soft jock strap kind of a uh-huh. kind of a padding. Uh-huh. So whatever underwear they're wearing, we can put that inside. Or if they're wearing modesty wear, which you know, again, in the more common language, we'd call it everyone knows of knows it as a cock sock. However, we're changing some <laughs> of the language. I'm working with with a company called the Modesty Shop, and uh, they're very cute because the Modesty Shop, we got you covered. <laughs> I really like oh, that's so one. cute. I love <laughs> and, that. We've developed uh, also with someone who works in the burlesque community, uh, um, 
what we, we're calling it a hammock, but basically it's a double layered um, piece of fabric that's kind of like if you've worn Saks underwear or like Great Ohm style underwear where it's like um, curved in the front, um, but it's quite fitted. So it's a quite fitted front pouch. Um, and then we tape them on. So we actually tape um, above the pubic, pubic mound with like a kinesiology tape or something. Um, and by taping everything in, uh, it's kind of creating like a, like a, like a genderless doll <laughs> kind of look. <laughs> um, but basically that means we can contain all of the like flesh and hair and anything else that's, that's in that area. Bits. All the goodie bits. We get everyone to landscape before we apply one of these. Cause otherwise you're going to get a bit of a free wax job. <laughs> so when they're wearing these modesty garments, we double check that everything is good for the day and that they're, they're comfortable. I mean, as comfortable as you can be, it's a little uncomfortable, but like, are you confident, right? That's usually what we ask people. Are you feeling confident with this? Um, they'll have whatever the modesty garments are that we'll need. Um, usually with uh, more intense scenes, like you were describing, um, we'll have a rehearsal um, and we'll specifically think about the movement and we'll break that down because nothing mm. that we're doing is real. So that means that, you know, for example, if you're doing a stunt fight, for example, and someone goes to hit someone, you know that the hand is not making contact with the person's face. This person, the person who is hitting is making the sound with their hands and the other person goes to touch their face and kind of makes a reaction like they've just been hit. Right. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. with intimacy, for example, if I was going to discuss like a scene of oral sex on someone, we have the person who the oral sex is being performed on. Maybe their legs are apart a little bit, but the person who is performing again in quotes, performing the oral sex would have their head um, on the inner upper thigh. So it's kind of, like uh, it should be about a fist or so's width away from any general actual, region. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So your so your point of intended contact is always like three to six inches away from the actual point of contact, and it's all masking tricks. It's all angles and you know where the camera is, camera lighting, high above yeah. or low. Yeah, and so depending on what the choreography is that we're trying to convey the angle might change or the distance might change. But for the most part, everything is quite far away from the actual point of contact, right? So there's always a lot of space in between bodies. So we work out the choreography, we work out pacing, proximity, um, what that person's breath might be doing. Like if you're doing a quick panting breath or a slow kind of deeper in the tummy breath and then the sound that comes along with that. So again, it's like making a soundscape and um, having people work through what that breathing, okay, we're telling the story of penetration, it's going to be um, a quick in inhale, and then a low, a low and slow breath out. So it'll be like, like a <sighs> yeah, mm. so we can actually talk them through what that's going to sound like and what that's going to look like. Um, so we, we really look at all the choreography, we go back through the beats, just like how you would if you were doing any other scene work. Um, and depending on the, the, the actors, um, or the performers comfortability, we might do it a couple times over and over again until it feels very normal and feels organic that they're doing each step one after another. And so that the part when they're really acting is like minimal, because if we can do a wide shot where they don't have to be putting as much emotion into everything. And then we do close-ups with like the hand moving the dress up the body or, you know, a hand on a breast or whatever. We're getting those close-up shots. And then the one scene where we might actually have them like get into the emotion of it and really like 
go go as far as you can with the you know the vocal range and that kind of stuff we try to keep that as minimal as possible and like when you're shooting angles on stuff where you're not going to see anything below like if you're getting these these two characters are like really having you know fuck fest up against a wall and um <laughs> We see that wide shot. And then when we come in closer and we're only seeing their faces together or we're only seeing a hand on something like they're wearing sweatpants, like they're wearing something that makes them feel cozy and comfortable in the areas that you can't see. Right. Right. Yeah. So we don't have to always have them in those positions so that it's really, again, mitigating how much they're in those very, very vulnerable positions. And we also have what's called closed set protocols. So that's just where we're closing down the set. We're making sure that people who don't need like that grip or don't need to be there makeup person don't need to be there. Um, and then we always have a system for how we disrobe and robe, right? So the camera's already rolling and then we disrobe them and then they'll do the scene and then they'll yell cut. And the first thing that happens is a robe comes in and no one gives notes or no one comes in and changes a light with the performers like naked. You know what I mean? Like, so when we put those things in place, that really helps solidify for the performers. Like, wow, I'm really being taken care of. Um, the thing that I'm doing that's very vulnerable is in this very specific amount of time and everyone around me is respectful of the fact that this is vulnerable. It's also my job, right? Mm. So we're just continuing to like instill all of that um, into the sets. And I've been fortunate now to work on multiple sets where I've been, I've been asked back on the next season. And now that everyone in the crew is really well attuned to how these scenes work, it's so much smoother and it's so much more relaxed and people feel you know, again, taking care of, and they can come to us with, even crew can come to us with um, questions or concerns that they might have like, oh, hey, I noticed that today on the call sheet, we're going to be shooting a scene of sexual assault. And um, I have personal experience that means that I I just can't be on set today. And I'll be like, great, this crew person that has approached me, I'll be like, we will find, um, we'll make sure that we've swapped you out with somebody else for that scene. Or, you know, we've moved you to an area where you're not going to, um, witness it. If that's not something that you feel will support your mental health today. Like that's, I want to help people do that. Oh, that's really cool. So, yeah. uh, and it does take some time to get into that kind of flow, but mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm wondering like, what about the initial stuff? Because, um, I'm thinking like there could be disagreements between cast and crew as to how a scene should go because um, what if the script says uh, character A and character B should be doing it in this specific position because it like, mm-hmm. helps the story mm-hmm. or whatever and then yeah. the actors are more like um, I don't really feel like that should be done but then the director's like no that's how the script is going to be so you got to do it so in that sense of like disagreements between cast and crew or whoever else, what is your role in that like tiff, that, that little bumping heads? Communicate with curiosity Mm. (laughs) is the general sense of it. So if the director is like really sold on a thing, I would go to that director and go, Hey, just checking in. I know that this scene is like really important. This part of the vision is really important. Can you tell me again, like what the essence of the storytelling is that you're trying to convey here? Can you tell me more about the emotions that we're trying to see from these characters? Are we trying to reaffirm um, this aspect in their relationship where they're exploring this new sexual thing? Like, can you tell me more about that? And as I try to get more information from a director, I can pinpoint exactly what their what they're trying to get at and why they might be resistant to someone changing their idea. Then I go to the performers and I go, Hey, I'm checking in with you because 
you know, we were talking earlier about the scene and there seems to be a bit of um, discomfort or um, you, you don't seem really sure about this. And I wanted to check in with you about why is it the particular choreography? Is it something about the, um, the characterization that you're not familiar or not comfortable with? I get more idea of that. It might be like, oh, well, I just don't want to be seen from that side of my body. Or um, actually I'm feeling like this character at this point in the story, you know, so I try to like, massage out of people why there's the resistance and then I can kind of go back a little bit to whoever the other person is that's having the resistance and sometimes it has to be like uh actually this is um you know usually usually when it comes to more when I say to a director if we if we go in with these three contingency plans right? These backups of like, we'll have this masking, um, we'll change the story to this, we'll make sure that the performer feels really confident. You know, we go in, we do all of that. We even can go so far as to take, um, we can take photos of what they're seeing on the monitor and show the performer, like, this is how you look, this is what's being shown. Um, does this, is this okay with you? And I'm, I, I usually get a performer responding back to me saying, oh, wow, I didn't know it would look that good. I didn't know that you had all these, you know, the lighting was this way and that this angle really works in this context. Actually, like, I feel really good and I'm willing to um, like show more if that's what's needed in the story. So when the director is kind of pushing initially for that stuff, I often will talk to saying like, if we start here and we have all these backup plans and we show the performer um, how this is going to look, let's see if they, you know, feel good about that and then want to go forward. Not saying that, not saying that, that we're trying to push them in, in one way or another. And like, there's a lot of directors are used to a lot of different people coming in and saying like, you have to do this, you have to do this, or have producers down their back. Like, I understand being a director is really hard because you might want to have a vision and there's 5 million people telling you, like, for different reasons that you can't make that happen. And they're trying to, like, you know, balance that as well. So trying to find something that works for them and also bringing offers that they might not have ever thought about before. Because really, if you think about it, we often hear or see uh, about like four or five different sex positions. And it's pretty common to just like, Only repeatedly four or five. Do, <laughs> let's just repeatedly do the things that seem to work. And we can come in with like, actually, there's this other position or this other angle that could work really well and really showcases like your two performers faces, you know, like, let's, let's flip the switch a little bit. Let's try something different. Um, and, you know, usually when they see what we can offer, they warm up a little bit. Um, and so again, like I can't de uh, definitively say like in a particular instance, uh, I, I do actually try to like give myself case studies of things to kind of like, work, what would I do in this instance? Um, but for the most part, like knock on wood right now, I've only ever had those situations open up. I've only ever seen the performer become more comfortable because of all of the care and all of the communication that is happening to make sure they feel really good about what's being depicted. Um, and then from there, they tend to be so confident that they want to offer more, you know, so our job is to help make the performers feel safe enough and confident enough that they themselves will offer you know, um, and this is like a quote that I got from Siobhan, but Siobhan got it from another person that she worked <laughs> with uh, doing stunt coordination, but it's something around the lines of, you know, if we can create a safer space, um, brave things can happen rather than only, um, only safe places where we're not very, uh, not, not paraphrasing it well, but it's like, <laughs> it's about like, um, when you feel really safe, you will go to that more like, artistically dangerous place, then if you don't feel safe, 
in that context. And then you're going to, you're going to stay inside the safety of whatever it is that you are aware, mm-hmm. like that you confidently can do. Right. Um, and so then people aren't really taking those artistic risks, right? If, if we give them a safe space to do that, then people are much more likely to go that distance as a performer and be able to give like their best performance. Mm-hmm. Has there ever been like a situation where it's like just non-negotiable, like, and it gets in the way of production? Um, I mean, maybe a couple times, but usually it comes down to, you know, because at the moment where we're not quite union members, um, we are there to instill safety, but we can't like put our foot down. We have to still diplomatically go to our heads of departments or our producers or our production managers and say like, here's the issue you know, we know for a reason that the actor cannot do this thing and the director's really pushing it. Is there anything we can do from your end of things on the production end of things that will allow us to safeguard the actor's boundaries, even though recast, this director's recast, really pushing no it? <laughs> well, because some directors are also like in a place where they're they're a little bit of the old guard. They're not really, uh, they haven't mm. quite jumped onto the newer Again, like, I don't know that it's newer. It's just safer. And it's like a right, different way of yeah. doing things. Um, and a lot of them continue to want to like improv. Like we can improv too. We can still create a container and then let the performers improv as long as they're both able to check in with each other and we have that common language. Um, so yeah, there's some resistance, but for the most part, directors that I've worked with who are still very like, I don't know about this when they first meet <laughs> us because they think we're going to kind of railroad their vision. It's like, no, like, let me tell you how much I love sex and how much I really want this storytelling <laughs> to go well. <laughs> but, you know, like we have we have tools, we have things on offer, we have images, we have resources. And when we get to give you that stuff, like, you know, it, just give me give myself a pat on the back when that goes really well. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> your your end result is is um, you know, as good as we wanted it to be, right? Right, yeah. Oh, I like that. That's yeah. so that's so sweet. So like Yeah, whenever wow. we win. Yeah, everyone wins. We love it when everyone wins. Oh, my God. So just this whole um, conversation on being an intimacy professional, Mm. we've covered like consent and boundaries and communication and like just compartmentalizing. Wow, look at all those C's that I just dropped right now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like, what are some of the important things that you've taken away from being an intimacy professional that have now uh, that you will apply or to your um i don't know your love life your sex life what are some of the things that you've learned and what are some of the things that you wish people would take away from this conversation if you, ever, professional? If you ever feel bored with anything happening in your life just do a bit of research <laughs> like, <laughs> just get just get into something that you never thought you would have liked and like and like watch a bunch of it and like read up a lot of, a lot about it we're working on a show um upcoming, my, my team is working on a show that includes um, the Edo period in Japan. And we're doing a ton of research into like Shunga erotic art. And like, boy, that stuff is fascinating. And I'm so happy that that was a thing. And like that we have those ins- inspiring images. <laughs> and it's just like, it's a whole, you know, again, it's like a decentered, like away from Western colonial, you know, ideology. And it's just, there are so many cultures in the world that that had incredible ideas around sex and sexuality and intimacy and and the and the ritual and the ceremony around it and all that kind of stuff so that's that's a big one it's just like 
step outside your comfort zone, even if it's just to look at that stuff that you never would have thought that you were interested in. <laughs> Get curious. Um, and boundaries, all the boundaries. and But knowing what your boundaries are and really honing in on how to articulate those boundaries to your partner. And, and a boundary doesn't have to be a no stop there. It can be, I am feeling like 60% about this and I would like to feel 100%. And in order to do that, I need this, that, and the other thing from someone. Like I just need more information. I need, oh, I didn't realize I wasn't going to like that thing that just happened. Can we debrief about it? And then I can talk about what I think my new boundaries are because we've experienced something and now I want to sort of talk about it and figure out which part of that I did like, I didn't like, what did you like, what did you not like? You know, so kind of like really getting granular. Like, I think we're so afraid in our intimate relationships because we want to put our best foot forward. We want to be easy to get along with that. We don't think about how much detail we can get into to really be like, what do you want? What do you need? Let me try to get all of that for you. And what do I want? And what do I need? And how do we find out a way for me to get all of that too? Right. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And boundaries and like work boundaries versus personal boundaries. Like how do you create like the closure practice I was talking about, like my own self care and the fact that I'm like taking baths and going to my counselor and getting cranial sacral therapy. Like I'm doing all these things to help my own, like, what are my resources? What can I, what is the cup that I'm pouring from to give to other people? I have to, you know, be really enforcing of that. I love that analogy of like, what is yeah, the cup yes. I'm pouring from? Mm, my God. What is, is of... that just like, like rotting water? Or is it like, you know, chai tea? Chai or like, mm, exactly. Is it tequila? Like what is, what is in the cup? Um, in my cup, I've got Kahlua, some, oh, yeah. uh, so I don't know what else is in here. I, I always have to give myself a little bit of a, a little pick me up before mm, recording. Pick me up. Yeah. Nice. Right. And then, after this, I'm going to practice some closure practices. Like go. I'm going to, I don't know, masturbate or watch some porn. Hug, just to, hug, Richard, hug Richard, watch some porn, go for a walk, you know? Yeah, just, some, just yeah. something to, to recenter myself after a good podcast episode such good as podcast. this one. Um, nice. You're such an amazing fucking guest, Megan. Like, Thank you, Tim. You it was are. Lovely to be here. It, it was so. This was such a lovely conversation, and I'm just like, yeah. I'm, I'm so curious now about everything there is about um, the intimacy professional industry, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure the listeners are going to be interested in this. So, how about you make like a butt sure, and plug sure. away anything? <laughs> <laughs> make like a butt and plug away. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I ask oh, all no. my guests to make like a butt and plug away anything that is that you would want them to find. That's so, great. <laughs> so like your social media so, or like yes. how people can become an intimacy professional such as yourself. Sure. You know, all that stuff. So if people are interested in like training and information from the organization that I am part of, you can go to at intimacy.society on Instagram. Uh, website coming soon because it's a lot more uh, of an undertaking that we originally thought. So that'll be coming out soon, but there's tons of information in our link tree. We do have some um, courses coming up. I will be teaching a uh, set representations of intimacy part one and part two. So the first one is about sex and gender and performance. And the second one is about sexuality and pleasure. I do talk a lot about butt plugs because they'd be my favorite, (laughs) but I'm talking about 
basically representations in the mainstream that we can sort of shift everyone's awareness around. Um, my personal Instagram is at Megan Gilron, M-E-G-A-N-G-I-L-R-O-N. And uh, if you want to hire me, you can hire me through www.principalintimacy.com. We are pips. Like put a pip in your step. I don't know. It's just cute. <laughs> My colleague and I just a little pip have a blast with that. Governor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so amazing. And I can't wait to start my journey to become an intimacy professional because yes. this sounds like fun. And again, not just an excuse for me to touch Henry Cavill whenever I want to <laughs> um, see him partially naked underneath a little modesty cover. Um, <laughs> one day, one day it's going to mm-hmm. happen. Maybe um, one day. One day we're going to make it happen. We're going to manifest it. So, um, <laughs> again, Megan, thank you so much for joining me here thank on Sex you, and Tim. Thank you. And to all the oh. listeners that have tuned in and you've made it this far into the episode, please don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. And I don't know, be a patron because I give you all the nice goodie stuff at the very you know end of these episodes. And you know what? I love you all. I I love Megan for being here and for just everything that's, you know, here. <laughs> so um, everything that's so here much. and everything that's sexy. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> you could have, I could not have said it better myself. Um, and again, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the sex ed with Tim podcast. And I will see you at the next one. Bye. Thanks for listening to the sex ed with Tim podcast. Sex ed with Tim is created and produced by me, Tim Lagman. Music is aces high by Kevin McLeod. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at GaySlutClown and at SexEdWithTim. You can also like and follow me on the SexEdWithTim Facebook page. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Even better, you can also support the show on Patreon, where you can get early access to ad-free episodes and more. Thanks for all your support, you dirty little slut. Mwah!